Welcome to the Impact the Humble Podcast. My name is Kurt and I am joined today by Dr. Sandra Vaughn of PhysioCare Barbados. Dr. Vaughn helps women 40 years and over resume active lives so that they can maintain and sustain active lives as they age. Welcome, Dr. Vaughn. Thank you so much for that introduction, Kurt. A little bit about Sandra Vaughn. I'm a physiotherapist of over 20 years experience. I've worked in different areas in the hospital system and also in private practice. But I've been working in private practice certainly for the last 22 years. And most specifically within the last, I would say, 10 years or so, I've focused on orthopedic medicine. So um, physios can do a whole host of things. And, but my preference and my joy comes from working with musculoskeletal stuff. So um, mm. anything to do with joints, muscles, um, anything like that. And most recently, I've niched down even more so that I'm working with women who are um, in the age range of 40 plus. Uh-huh. So that's that's a little bit about me. <laughs> so... I'll start from your latest piece of information there. So what caused you to to niche down a little bit into the 40 plus and female demographic? I found that I really enjoy treating people in that demographic. And part of it is not just the manual stuff. It's the conversations that we have because Mm. I treat my patients as individuals. And Mm. each person is unique in their own special way. But there is, I was finding that there was a certain trend. And that was that these ladies were in their 40s in very strong managerial positions. And so the conversations during therapy were very insightful. And Mm. it was a pleasure to treat them. So you get up in the morning and you want to go to work. You want to interact with these people because guess what? They want to live their lives. They want their lives to be active and fun loving. And and when you get to 40, I think there are different stages that you go through. Uh, And when you get to 40, you tend to be a little bit more carefree. Before Mm. that, you're kind of thinking, what are people going to say or what are people going to think? And when you get to that sort of carefree stage, the conversations that come out are really rich and dynamic. And that's what I enjoy. Interesting. So what they say about life really beginning at 40 is true then? It's very true. You start (laughs) not to care about a fella and start to really enjoy your life. Oh, well, that's fantastic because enjoyment is a key component in longevity, you would say? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Mm. You have to be able to smile. You have to be able to laugh. Like, you know, every day is not going to be the same. But once you have those two tools, you can get through life a lot better. Fantastic. So that's an, an awesome segue into the main topic which we are speaking about today, which is active aging. And based upon everything that you have said, you have just pretty much demonstrated to me that this is something you are very, very keen on, exceedingly yeah. enthusiastic on. And it's, it's an absolute pleasure to wake up every single morning knowing that you can make a difference. That's that, Would you say that? Yes, exactly. Um, and not only a difference, Kurt, but transformations. When you mm. see the transformation, when you see people coming in, they're hurt or they're injured, 
and you know they're demoralized and and they figure they can't get back to life as how it was and you know it's important for me as a physiotherapist to empower my patients I don't want my patients to think that they have to depend on me slowly solely Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I want them empowered. I want them to know that I've equipped them with tools apart from my treatment, equipped them with tools so that if something happens at two o'clock in the morning, they know how to deal with it. And yes. if it's if it's a problem, you know, they can deal with it. If it's bigger than them, at least they've done almost like the first aid. And then I will come in later in the day. Um, you know, we, we have to get away as professionals from thinking that we have to have our our clients or our patients solely dependent on us, like they can't do anything on their own. No, we need to empower people. We need to teach people how to fish. Stop giving people fish. We need to teach people how to look after their bodies and how Mm -hmm. to get their maximum potential. And most often, we need to identify the potential that those bodies have. Because a lot of people do not understand or appreciate how much they're physically able to do. And so that's what I enjoy doing. Man, uh, that you you hit a lot of key areas there just now. Um, teaching a person how to fish. So so if I was to to attend your clinic, um, basically what you're saying to me is that you would not let me leave there without the full understanding as to what's going on with my body. But also exactly. Also, you're going to be arming me with tools so that I basically never have to see you again. Yes. Yes, basically, <laughs> basically, that's what it is. And uh, life is so much, I think that's what scares people, healthcare professionals. They're like, if I give this person this knowledge, they're mm-hmm. not going to come back. But what tends to happen is if you come in with an ankle sprain, when your back is hurting you, you're going to come back for your back. You might not come back yeah. from the ankle because you know how to, that was a topic at the time. So you know yeah. how to take care of that. But the more information you give people doesn't stop them to tapping in to you in the future. Yes. It gives them the confidence to know that you know what you're talking about. You're willing mm. to share it so that they can understand it. And that, yeah. I think, is super important. I, I highly agree. In fact, I think that that, that that in terms of value is extremely priceless because you don't want to have to continuously be going back to receive treatment, you know, you, you want to be able to know that, yes, you can reach out to this person. It's not just about me paying them. It's not just about the money. You are being able to, to, be, to be assisted, to be healed, and you know that you have someone who is here to assist you. So given everything that you just said, um, you, you spoke about assisting persons with, with their ailments and, and injuries, and a key process in that is rehab. Yes. And there is a thought process that rehab and training might be the same thing, right? But I want to get your, your insight on that. Is rehab and training, it, do they, are they the same things? And what would be the key differences between them if there is a difference? 
So definitely a difference between rehab and training. And then there is a point where you want to bridge that gap between the two to get the person from rehab to training. But we have to start with the rehab. If you have an injury, we want to identify what that injury is, what the cause of the injury was as well, because that's mm. super important. Oftentimes in rehab, we often zone in on the symptoms and try to fix those. But that's only 20% of the work. 80% of the work is finding the source of the problem and then right. changing that seeing what's going on there and seeing what muscles, muscle imbalances or whatever contributed to this quote unquote failure of this particular part. So when you are rehabbing now, you and you've identified the source and you want to correct that, you are actually starting to retrain movement habits or patterns. All right. So to get a pattern or a movement for the first time takes time, whereas yeah. training, you're more looking at improving performance, getting physically fit. But with rehab, rehab is looking at how we're getting this injury to heal now that it's healed. How can we get it to more comparable to what the function was before the actual injury? So they're, they're completely two different things. Um, right. Rehab is designed to be a short-term thing. You don't want to rehab all the time. You might prehab, which is another topic. Um, but training is something that you want to, it's progressive and it's something that you do all the time. So a nice um, difference between the two is even something as much as reps, repetitions, okay? Right. You may be doing high reps and several sets if you're, you're training, but in rehab, you want to keep the repetitions low, because right. you want to change the movement patterns in this patient and you want to get the patient to a point where they can do the exercises, but they're not overwhelming themselves. You're not looking for the burn when you're rehabbing. Mm. Yeah, you, you, you will find that there is some discomfort because you and I both know that you have to have discomfort to have some sort of change. Right. Yeah. That's that's the easiest way to know that change is taking place. But again, in rehab, you don't want to overload the joint or overload the muscle because yeah. it's not at that stage in the healing process where it can take that load. Whereas when you're training, you, you want to overload within mm -hmm. reason. And you want overload. to push, yeah, to push that training, to push that strength, to work on the person's fitness. So we need to be careful when we say no pain, no gain, what mm -hmm. we mean exactly by that. It's not going to mm -hmm. be a bed of roses. Has mm -hmm. to be challenging. It has to taking your nervous system and and grab your attention because we're looking for change, but it can't be agony and you can't be rehabbing and re-injuring. That that's not that's not the aim. That's not the objective. It'll be counterproductive. Yes, very much so. Very you much so. You mentioned something there. There there are two things that I want to get back to. But first, I will tackle what you mentioned there about prehab. Um, yeah. would, you, would you like to briefly state the difference between rehab and prehab? 
So if you do what we're trying to achieve with prehab is so you don't have to do rehab. So prehab mm -hmm. basically is to keep the, the flexibility and the muscles and the joints and keep your system ticking over to a point where we reduce or prevent injury. So it's mm -hmm. things like mobility and flexibility. Every day of training is not supposed to be a hard day. Yeah. There are some people who think, well, I didn't sweat enough or I didn't hurt enough or I don't have DOMS. So it couldn't it couldn't have been effective. Correct. But you can challenge not only your body, but your nervous system in various ways so mm -hmm. that you're not you're not overloading to the point of injury. And that's mm -hmm. where prehab comes in your mobility work, your accessory work. So you mm -hmm. want to be able to do a particular movement, be it, I don't know, handstand, push-ups. I'm going to think of CrossFit references because I'm a CrossFit <laughs> level two coach, so I can't oh, help. And I love the sport. But things like toes to bar. <laughs> things <laughs> like toes to bar. Like mm -hmm. you can't, you, there are accessory things that you need to do, like the shoulder health that you need to tap into if you want to be doing these movements at a high intensity on a regular basis. So they yes. must be balanced. And that's where the prehab comes in. People just label it mobility. But I prefer prehab because then you have the mobility and then you have the accessory work. So with um, things like shoulder health, making sure that you're tapping into the rotator cuff. Now, mm -hmm. you know, the guys might call it girly weights, but those are the, the weights you need to help in terms of uh, training the stabilizers. You don't need a big bulky weights for that. So you need to be able to do your prehab, your accessory, your mobilizing, um, before you get an injury because prevention is better than cure 100 percent. and it, it's interesting that you mentioned about the, the the small weights because if you are executing these movements correctly there is no way you can be using heavy weights when you're doing work with your rotator cuffs and that kind of stuff is is it's near on impossible unless you started um at, at that level from way before and worked your way up Exactly, um, exactly. And the other thing that you touched on as well that I'd like to develop a little bit more, and I'm sure you've seen it as well in your profession, that people are doing the reps really quickly. So yes. they're using mm -hmm. momentum as opposed mm -hmm. to the stability of the muscle or the strength of the muscle. And we need to, they're just moving the weight and they're moving yeah, it yeah. fast. And once they get the pendulum going, they're not really actively doing anything. It's very yeah. passive, but yes. it looks good because they're big, right? And the <laughs> weights are moving fast. Yeah. But if you if you really want to know whether or not you own a movement, slow it down. Correct, and correct. If you cannot do it at a slow speed, you don't mm. own that movement. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. therefore you are opening yourself up to injury when you're doing it at high intensity um with heavy loads yes very much so yeah, yeah as you mentioned about owning that movement and owning that movement within specific ranges because what you also see a lot of the times is that persons operating at like half their capability of range 
and and you know the assumption is that you're still achieving a lot um but at the end of the day it's always better to own your full range of motion and be continue to be strong in that full range of motion as much as as possible that's super important Kurt. super mm. super important um so take something as basic as squats now, there's always this debate. Years ago, we were told, you know, your knees are supposed to be in line with your ankles and they can't go over your toes. You're going to have all this problem and stuff. But now that's gone full cycle. We Straight know now as professionals that, yes, you want to have a deep squat yes, and a really yes. deep squat. Because what that means is that you are accessing the whole range of the knee the mm -hmm. hips the mm -hmm. ankles with mm -hmm. the full depth of the squat and yes. then being able to train through that range of motion then is going to make you significantly stronger than if you just go to parallel or you're not even hitting parallel the thing right. about not going through the full range of motion when you start to strengthen in a small arc of your available range eventually you're not going to be able to tap in to that entire range so you lose range when and you lose adapts. and the body adapts the muscles shorten something like the knee the mm -hmm. synovial fluid in the knee which is just the, the fluid in the knee does not mm -hmm. bathe the cartilage like it should and so mm -hmm. you're going to get areas of degeneration within the cartilage and look, next thing you have arthritis, a meniscal tear, stuff like that. But if you are using that knee to the full capacity, then you reduce the likelihood because it's getting the nourishment and it's getting the fluid that it needs. I love that terminology, bathes the cartilage. That's fantastic. Because I don't think that's something that a lot of people recognize that synovial fluid you know you you do need that to keep continue to continue to get the nutrients throughout the joint in order to maintain a healthy joint so that's a really really fantastic point now you mentioned something earlier as well that i wanted to get back to this was the second one um no pain no gain i absolutely hate <laughs> you of the test that terminology it always gives the wrong impression but there's also a bit of discomfort which you need to have to progress right which, yes. you, which you mentioned earlier in both um, training and rehab though yes. the two would be different so understanding those thresholds um yeah. how, how do you know when to stop so what i normally would say to patients is if on a scale of zero to ten where zero is no pain and ten is the maximum pain possible I don't want my patients, whether they're in rehab or whether they're in training, to go past that five, that mm -hmm. mark of five, that halfway point. Mm -hmm. With, okay. If they're in rehab, I'm going to expect some discomfort because you, you're recovering from an injury. And I have right. to expose the muscles, the tendons, the joints to some sort of discomfort to get them back to where they were before. So mm -hmm. it, it is, it's not going to be pain free because yeah. we all know that you get scar tissue and we want to try and change how that scar tissue is being laid down. 
if we just work within the parameters where you're not getting any pain at all, we're reducing the range of motion of the joints, which is not what we want. So we have to nudge into it a little bit, but you don't want to go over that five out of 10 because now we're more looking at re-injuring. When it comes to training, I also give my patients that kind of tool or that bar um, in that you want to feel the burn. The burn means that you're getting stronger. And to get stronger, what happens is you know that with the muscle, you're getting micro tears taking place in the muscle. No, you tear anything or you scratch anything or your body is not going to be pain-free. So you're going to have some discomfort or um, pain associated with it. But when it is sharp, or when it is sudden, you know that you are not a-okay. That pain is not the type of pain that you want. But if it's more like fatigue or more a burning, and then that burning as well, as it progresses, you don't want that burning to go over the five out of 10 if you're training, all right? Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. gives people an idea of what is good and then people will say to you well I have a high pain threshold but you still have a, a what's the word I'm looking for you still have a span a range even if you have a high pain threshold your five may not be somebody else's five but your right. five is still five to you. So yeah. I find that that is a, is a good tool to give to people if they're not sure if they're doing damage or they're doing good. I like that. So in terms of training experience, does that particular skill change a bit for, like, for example, a beginner to someone who's intimidated to very experienced? wouldn't say that um simply because like five out of ten is five out of ten right and when when you are starting and you're a beginner your five out of ten may actually be more a four or three uh -huh. And as you are more experienced then you're not going to complain as early on. So yeah. your five out of 10 may very well be a six. So if we just keep it simple and put it in the middle, then it should be good for everybody, beginners or um, elite athletes. So insofar as managing pain from a different perspective now, um, and we go into the realm of pain from injury, mm -hmm. there's, there's the... the the age-old solution, which has been, which has long gone, um, rice. You know, you, you go home, you ice, you elevate, compress, and you rest. Um, yeah. In fact, the guy who developed rice, he even changed his protocols, right? But but that's what people will generally go home to do. But how do you know when it's time to actually seek professional help? That's a good one. Um, I think rice went through rice priced all sorts of things, <laughs> and now it's. And now it's very much love and peace. So um, you don't advocate to have ice at all. And they're actually advocating more heat um, to help in terms of healing and also movement as well within certain parameters. Um, when you need to seek um, professional help, is when you are, this pain is not going away. Don't wait, don't wait two weeks. 
Like if you know you're in the gym and something happened, right? Mm -hmm. And the next day you're experiencing pain. Why are you waiting? You mm -hmm. know that there is a mechanism of injury. Something happened. I felt a pop. I heard a pop. Um, I, my back went in, in the gym. If my back went in the gym, why am I waiting two weeks for it to settle down? Uh, the quicker you get in, the quicker you get out. Yes. Because the longer you take trying to him and haul, is this something I need help with or not? All along now, you're you're making compensations, you're adapting how you're walking, how you're lifting. And, you know, the bare bones of the matter is, why be in pain for X amount of days when you don't need to be? Agreed. And popping pills is not the answer. Popping mm -hmm. pills like sweeties is not the answer. And, and I would say to people, what they don't realize as well, when you start with the anti-inflammatories, because mm -hmm. Uncle George and Auntie Sue had a, a few, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but had <laughs> a few anti-inflammatories there and you're using it. And then that masks the pain. And then you go back out and train. Yeah, you're worse. likely to do more damage. Yes. Like the inflammation and the pain, as much as we don't like it, is our body's way of saying, look, listen up. You know, mm -hmm. this is red light in the car. Something mm -hmm. needs to change. But if we're like, okay, I'm hurting, but I'll take some medication to mask the pain so I can continue doing what I did to hurt myself, that doesn't make sense. Okay. You know, that's so you need to see a professional. And I'm not just talking about physiotherapists now, even a personal trainer. Like mm -hmm. if you know that oh, I ain't a gym and I, and I can't get these deadlifts done at all. Every time I do a deadlift, I'm hurting myself. You're mm -hmm. lightly hurting yourself because your technique is all wrong. You need mm -hmm. help with your technique. You don't need to see the weights and go somewhere else. You need to actually attack that obstacle by getting the professional help and yeah. asking the advice of people who know, not people who have been in the gym or been around. Mm -hmm. You want to know, you want to talk to somebody who is trained in that particular area. Your buddy who's a gym rat is <laughs> not the same as a professional. And we True. need to make that distinction. We need to make that distinction very clear. Because then what happens is people say, well, going to the gym, you always get hurt. Yeah. No. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. If True. you know what to do and, and you're under guidance and, and you may not have a trainer every single time you go into the gym, but at least you need to know what to do with your body. Same thing with physio. You don't need a physio every single day, but my role is to help you understand how your body works, how your body functions, and how you can make the most out of it. Yes. And, and just quickly, that's another segue. Like if I see somebody who has back pain and I ask them to modify their activity, please know that modification is for a short period of time, not yes. for the rest of your life. Yes. So if somebody tells you, well, you can lift, mm -hmm. well, you need to find out I can't lift for how long I can't lift how heavy, 
nothing is carte blanche. If yeah. you have an injury, at some point it's going to heal, might not heal the way we want it to heal if you don't have professional help, but it's going to heal. You should be able to get back to the activities that you were doing before. Very few times do we have to significantly modify those activities if we are strengthening up the areas that cause the problem in the first place, adjusting the movement patterns, you often find you can go back to doing the things that you love. I absolutely love what you just said. So we just spoke about pain, how to get assistance with pain, when we should get assistance with pain. And one of the things that is very prevalent among Barbadians and among persons in the Caribbean, and in general, really, after you get past a certain age is arthritis. Now, we are told in many scenarios that arthritis is a pain that we have to continuously deal with, right? But, um, you know, the pain will always be there, but we just got to push through. <laughs> so what is your take? How do we deal with arthritis? I think for me, it depends on where it is, um, what pain you're actually having with it. Because once you get a certain age, you're going to have arthritic changes and not everyone is symptomatic. Not everybody who has arthritis is going to be in pain. And so I think there is an error in thinking, and it's a big myth, that once you have arthritis, you are going to be in pain. And oftentimes when we look for things, we find the things we're looking for. So yeah. every niggle and every um, discomfort then is attributed to the arthritis. And that in itself can be dangerous. Because there are times where, you know, it's a ligamentous strain or you've torn a muscle, things that will change and will heal, but you just um, pass it off as arthritis because I was told I have arthritis. Yeah. But there have been studies that have been done. And, you know, when you look at the joint, it looks smooth. There's no sign of arthritis and the person is in pain. There are other studies that have been done where the, the person looks as though they need an amputation, but wow. you know, they're not having, they're not having any pain. So mm. we can't then link arthritis to pain. Yeah. It is not, it's not a direct link. Yes, oftentimes part of the inflammatory process that takes place in arthritis, be it osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, involves an element of pain. But we, we have to be mindful about, you can have pain from other structures and other reasons, even if you have arthritis. And I think that is important. The other thing that I also say is, if you have arthritis in a load-bearing joint, that strengthening up the muscles around that joint helps that joint to function better and decreases the stress and the pressure on the joint. So just mm -hmm. saying you have arthritis and you're not doing anything about it is not going to help you. You need to move. And I'm yes. not saying 
go and run a marathon or whatever, there, there are different levels of movement that can be prescribed to you to help with your particular condition and your level of, of arthritis. So not sure. all arthritis is the same. So what I'm getting from you then is that movement is medicine, which is one of my favorite sayings. So you can't just sit around and do nothing. Um, you have to apply some kind of stimulus to the joints, connective tissues and muscles in order to have some kind of benefit. And the key point there, Kurt, is that it has to be specific to the level of the condition. So yeah. that is, again, why it's important to seek out a professional, because as professionals, we can give you a better idea as to how much load this particular joint can take at this stage and how to progress it safely. Um, so you get two extremes where you get a person that doesn't want to do much and we have to encourage them to do more, or you get an individual who wants to do more than they should be doing. And so that's the role of the professional to kind of guide you and say, almost like a Sherpa, like this is where you should be at, right? To get maximum benefit. How often do you have to deal with persons who want to do more than you have prescribed? So yes, it's more when I deal with men because it's a... It's, it's, it's the male ego. There, there are some women that will fall into that category though. Um, right. they're usually competitive and driven and mm. a lot of them, which is good, compete against themselves, but they still push really hard. So you have to kind of reel that person back in. So like, if you say, okay, do five reps of this. If I tell you to do five reps of this, I know why I am saying that. I've chosen that that amount. I've prescribed that amount because I know what benefit that amount is going to give you. If you come back and say, doc, I did 50 because it's 10 times better, it's not. And that 50 may, be, may have been faster because you wanted to get through it quicker. You know, it's you're prescribed when you go to the doctor and they prescribe medication. You're not really supposed to say, well, he said twice a day or she said twice a day, but I'm going to take it, you know, four times because twice is better. Um, it's done for a reason based on not only the professional's experience, but also on your level of injury, where you are in terms of healing. So it's specific to you. Yeah, your Auntie Sue might have had 20 reps, but that may have been good for her, but not necessarily good for where you are at. And that also makes me think, Kurt, about exercising. You can have one exercise, but depending on how you execute that exercise, you can actually um, get more out of the exercise. So you might be looking at strength, you might be looking at stability, you might be targeting a specific muscle. One exercise can, out of that one exercise, you can get various modifications or variations, or even looking at different muscle groups with one exercise. So people are fast to say, oh, you did it wrong, 
or, you know, um, that's not the way to do it. Unless you know why somebody is prescribed something, you really ought not to be just doing it because you don't know what they're targeting, what the outcome is that they're trying to achieve. You may look at it and it may be an exercise that you're familiar with, but you've never seen done in that particular manner. And it may be done in that manner because we're we're not targeting the usual muscle. We want an accessory movement out of this. Mm -hmm. So I think people need to be mindful when, A, they're taking exercises just off of social media and trying a thing. An yeah. exercise is a tool. Um, it's very much a prescription. And when it's prescribed to you, it's prescribed with a particular outcome in mind. If you don't mm -hmm. know the outcome and you're just doing the exercise, you're not going to get the same benefits. And yeah. the basics work but yes. they're boring they're boring <laughs> for a reason so that you don't get complicated and if yes. you stick to yes. the basics anyone who is good at their profession good at the basics mm -hmm. so you mm -hmm. always want to tack back to the basics and anyone yes. who says to you well I know that already I know that already no, there's always some nuance that you can learn from the basics. So always double back to the basics, because as we grow as individuals, we're going to have different experiences. So when we go back to the basics, we're not seeing them through the same lens that we did initially. And therefore, we can always pick up on something different that are going to help clients and patients. You know what you said there is so valuable in, in whatever field you're in, you have to master the basics. Now, one thing that bothers me in our field, and I look at our field as, as health as well, um, but one thing that bothers me is that we attribute results solely to appearance. You want to look good. And there are spin-offs from the confidence that you have from, you know, having confidence in your appearance. But the way how the industry promotes appearance to be the, the only factor, I think it's a bit troubling. What's your thought process to helping persons to recognize that there are many more benefits to movement? I think actually that we want to move for function. Mm -hmm. We want to focus on function, so mobility and stress, strength mm -hmm. and functional movement, which ties into the active aging thing. Like, you know, as you get older, you want to be able to pick stuff off the floor. That's a deadlift, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you carry it if you have to carry dog food, you know, you get that's a med ball carry. So yeah. it needs to be, I think that movement needs to be functional. And guess what? What guess what is an added bonus to that function? You start to look good. You can't help but look good. But what you can, if you go after the aesthetics first, you don't necessarily get the function. Correct. So I've, I've worked with people before and the abs, the six pack, eight, eight pack, popping. Mm -hmm. But they can do a plank. Mm -hmm. They can do a sit up because they, they look good. They're leaned out and stuff, but those muscles are not functional and that's one of the reasons i love crossfit because it's functional varied movement 
mm -hmm. all right, at varied intensity. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, if you are fitter by default, your body is going to look a certain way. You can't help. You just can't help it. So I prefer to go after function, which is going to be with you a lot longer. It's going to keep you out of the nursing home. It's going to allow you to have your independence for longer. And the added bonus is you're going to look good because yes, you're please. using those muscles functionally. So don't set out to chase the aesthetics because they will come as an added bonus. And as I take this back now to, to active aging, how do we encourage persons to move more as they age? So that's, that's a nice topic. Um, I like to encourage people to find a sport that they enjoy, a sport or an activity. So gardening works well as well because you're doing a lot of lifting, a lot of bending and moving around. But something that will elevate the heart rate, something that you enjoy because after a certain age you want to do things that you enjoy yes you have discipline but you don't want to just rely on discipline now you want to have something an activity that you enjoy and I normally would say that it'll be even better if it's something you've never done before because if it's something you've never done before it gets the learning center going in the brain we have a high percentage rate of Alzheimer's and dementia. And one of the things that they have said is that if you keep that learning center taking over by doing activities, reading, stuff that you have not done before, then you're likely to keep that learning center um, active and stave off that dementia. So when you look at, say, professors that you would have lauded um, and you see that they have Alzheimer's and dementia and you look at it and you see that this might be a professor who was teaching for 30 years, but the same information over and over again. You know, some people would go to university and say, yeah, you want my notes? I have the exact same notes from 10 years ago. So mm -hmm. you, we need to do things that are new the to keep that brain active. Listen, that is enough point. So do you usually do or recommend a lot of brain or cognition activity with your patients? I usually do it during the session, but I would point them in the direction of um, maybe apps that would help. Um, Lumosity is one that I like a lot because it's... Um, they give you different games and keep you active. So it's for memory, it's for coordination and different things. So the older patients, I would ask them to get, get a younger person maybe to download the app for them, but get them playing the app. And I've found anecdotally that it does help in terms of memory because um, yeah. that's, that's a big thing. A is play. Play is so important as we age. And I, I think we don't, we don't get to play. We're too serious. Yeah. And structured exercise. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's one, um, maybe elevators. I think it's called elevate. I don't use that one as much, but that's another brain stimulation. And then there's one um, 
the name eludes me at the moment, but I could always get it back to you. It's a neuroplasticity one. So it's just um, to describe it simply, it's like you have, say a hand comes up and you have to determine whether that's a left hand or a right hand. And so you can set the speed at which the hand comes up and it allows your your brain in terms of um, perspective and where you are and um, proprioception. So playing that game sometimes, like I, in the past when I've done it, like with an ankle sprain or something, just knowing your left and right can actually increase your range of motion. So usually the patients are like, wow, blown away by it. Um, so things like, um, if we're looking at neuroplasticity as well, things like if something you had an injury with one hand, placing the good hand in front of a mirror and doing exercises with a good hand, but your brain is actually seeing your um, affected hand, the mirror image of the good hand, and you get more mobility out of the injured hand after that, after that exercise. So things like that, the little things. But I don't tend to do a lot of brain work with my patients, but I do encourage them to read, stay active, do the apps if they need to. And look at the nutrition because nutrition is important as well in terms of the same um, dementia and Alzheimer's. Make sure that they're feeding the brain, fueling yep. the system. Um, mm -hmm. And as a segue, that's important for physio as well because you are healing muscles. You're, you know, you're trying to heal tissue you can't not be eating because you're not exercising, so you don't want to gain weight. You have to mm. be eating the right things so that the tissues are able to heal. You know, that's great information there. And I especially find the neuroplasticity work really fascinating. In fact, I have a lecturer or a mentor who spoke about that probably about seven years ago. And he used the tool of working out with his non-impaired arm and he spoke about the benefits that it would have on his impaired arm at the time and you know the the research was quite new at the time but you know he followed through with it and you know to this day he has regained some of the lost range of motion that he had in his impaired arm and and that's one of the tools that he used within his rehab and, and probably still does because don't forget as well, they say in terms of if you have like a basketballer who is injured, um, going to the game is still important, even if they don't play and yeah. just being there and present and going through the exercises. So there's a little bit of visualization that takes place as well. And that does help in terms of rehab. I must admit, I don't tend to use that aspect very much. But that is something that can be done to help people um, come back in terms of range of motion and definitely in terms of skill. Yeah. I have a, a, a question here for you as we, we get towards the end. And this is the question that I did not prepare. I did not discuss with Dr. Vaughn at all. Right. So <laughs> it's a second or two to develop her response to this. Then please, you know, understand. And the question is. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to be appointed the Minister of Health today, uh, what would your first decision 
to get the populace moving as well as to reduce the health bill. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> That's such a loaded, a loaded question. Um, wow. <laughs> um, I think the main thing is recognizing that like what we discussed before, movement is medicine. Mm -hmm. And uh, getting an understanding about the same sort of prehab and stuff. So we do a lot of stuff for prevention, but it's not necessarily supported. Like right. exercise is not supported. And to mm -hmm. be a little bit political, um, I know that there was some distress during the pandemic and coming out and the opening up when the gyms were perhaps one of the the last set of organizations that could be open and that yeah. and that is sad because movement is medicine and yeah. in any pandemic you yes you need to be careful in terms of um you know spreading stuff but you also need to move and yes. you need to get those lungs working and stuff. So ideally what we would want to see is that movement becomes more of a priority and that we, in terms of health, that we actually focus a little bit more on wellness as opposed to illness. I yes. think when we focus on illness, um, we've lost the battle already. Yes. We need we need to definitely focus on wellness and keeping our people and our population well. And one of the best ways to do that is through movement and and facilitating that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that the answer would not be a very specific one because it's a very, very broad question. Yeah. What, yeah. what I have surmised from your from your response is, is, is two things. It's the educational aspect, and then you would seek to mobilize to have everyone, you know, in a position where they can move, make, creating better access for persons of all ages, whether it be yes. young, whether it be seniors, to continue moving um, as much as possible. Because it's important as well that our kids see our seniors move. Yes. Because... It, it, you know, history repeats itself. And I think a lot of times people in the 50 plus age group are, they're scared. Mm -hmm. They're scared because they know that their grandparents were in wheelchairs and couldn't move. Um, yeah. And so they're scared. They We have the information now to know that that doesn't have to be us. That doesn't have to be our legacy. We want to change the legacy that we have and have people moving, but mm -hmm. understand, like you said, it's from the toddler to the person who is in their 80s or 90s. Right now, we have a lot of people moving in their 30s or 40s, but at the end of the spectrum, we don't have people moving. We don't have good role models of people moving as they age. And some of our young people, they they on the computer on the they can't oh, sit they can't sit down on the floor because they can't bend their knees because they haven't been doing it since childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. you're you remember when we used to play jacks, we used to be on the floor. <laughs> when we yeah. used to pitch marbles, 
nobody's doing that anymore. We used to play hopscotch. So even though our elderly perhaps did not move as well, our younger folks coming up were moving all the time, double dutch and skipping. We mm -hmm. do not have that level of movement and activity now in our system. And as these children get older, unless we do something now about movement and the importance of it, we're not going to have adults that are moving well. We're not mm -hmm. going to have adults that are aging well. That's, that in itself is going to be a burden on the healthcare system. But I don't think that we are addressing it from that angle either. And mm -hmm culturally we still have the position i think that once you get a certain age you shouldn't be doing x or y you shouldn't be running running is a big thing because they're like oh when you run you're gonna mess up your knees <laughs> yes if you have the correct foot where running is a technique like everything else right mm -hmm. it's a sport every sport has a technique has something mm -hmm. that you need to learn. So all those things, all those myths, if we can dispel them and get Barbados moving, that will be huge to the healthcare system. Huge. I huge. love it. So, so we have to create a cultural change so that we can get these things into a snowball effect so that in time, we can take that burden away. Yes. For sure. So we we need to have images to model. We need to have images of kids playing again. And I don't mean just on the computer. We need mm -hmm. to have kids doing functional activities. Like I, as I mentioned before, I'm CrossFit. I used to teach from three years up. Okay. And and the children, the little children were fearless, you know, yes. their toes to bar and rope climbs <laughs> and stuff because they enjoy that. They can burn off the energy. We need to see more of that. And we also need to see more images of our elderly doing stuff. Yes, love it. Absolutely love it. And I could not agree more. I couldn't agree more. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I think we covered so much information here, and I wish to thank you for the breadth of knowledge which you have given us here. I'm sure that this will be an absolutely enjoyable listen, and I think we really have to do this again. <laughs> thank you so much for being a wonderful host, Kurt. It was a pleasure you. chatting with you. Yeah. Hit me left field with that last question, <laughs> but that's all in good fun. Um, yeah, it man. just made me think a little bit, which is always, always good. And yes, I would love a round two or a part two. I'm Perfect. here for that. Perfect. Well, we will have some more conversations about that then. This was another episode of the Impact Dumble podcast with my guest, Dr. Sandra Vaughan, who shared some fantastic information with us. Dr. Vaughan's clinic can be found on Instagram via the handle PhysioCareBarbados. Be on the lookout for more episodes coming soon. Until then, thanks for listening and take care.